Welcome to the School of Travels podcast. I'm your host, Becky Gillespie, and each week I bring you stories of how travel can truly change your life if you take the chance to get out on the road and step out of your comfort zone. My guests also share travel tips and lessons they've learned along the way, which I hope inspires you to let travel be your teacher. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to another episode of the School of Travels podcast. This month, I've been spending time in the beautiful city of Santiago de Querétaro, Mexico, meeting some new friends. It's about three hours by bus outside of Mexico City, in case you're interested. I've been waiting here for my visa application to Portugal to hopefully finish processing soon. And when that happens, I promise that I will have an entire episode for you on moving to Portugal. But I want to wait until I hear back from immigration and actually finish the process so I can give you all the tips. Stay tuned for more updates on that very soon. Today, I have a really interesting interview to share with you with Kia Orion, a fellow American that I just met here in Querétaro, who was also invited by a friend to spend some time here during the pandemic, since it's actually a nice place to be if you're from the U.S. here in Mexico, because we're allowed to be here for six months as tourists without having any kind of visa. Kia and I actually have a lot of similarities because we both moved to Asia without knowing anyone and started teaching English to get us through those early days living abroad. In this interview, Kia turns the tables on me and actually interviews me just as much as I interview him. So you're going to hear a real back and forth about what it's like to move to a totally foreign land, struggle with communication, and keep your creative juices flowing while making it all happen on the road. This is a story of the journey as much as it is about the destination. I hope you enjoy my interview with Kia. Welcome to episode 46 of the School of Travels podcast. I am here now in Santiago de Querétaro, Mexico, with a new friend I've made here, another digital nomad, Kia. Kia, welcome to the podcast. Becky, thank you so much for having me. This is cool. I feel really honored that you want to have me on. So I'm also a guy, I, I talk a lot, so I'm super stoked. I feel like you've got some crazy stories too, so um, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you invited me here, dude. This is, this is dope. Thank you for coming today, Kia. We are in my closet, by the way, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> come to my closet in my strangely massive Airbnb. Uh, I'll put some photos on the website if you guys want to see it. But uh, we're in the meditation room slash closet. Thanks, <laughs> yeah. Kia. I hope this isn't too weird for you. <laughs> this is actually, I'm pleasantly surprised. This is one of the dopest Airbnbs I've been in. For those that don't have a visual, we are sitting in a room that's like just for meditation or closet stuff. It's... This is, this is dope. This is dope. Okay. All right. So, Kia, let's start. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So, I have, I guess, kind of a, did the kind of typical trajectory for a lot of my life. Uh, you kind of go to school and then uh, go to college, get the job, blah, 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 blah. But growing up, I always loved music. And so, I have some cool hippie parents. And my, um, my dad's not exactly Captain Planet, but like probably the closest thing that you could, you could find to Captain Planet. So he had green hair. He, that's the one part that's missing. He did have a ponytail though for a long time. So pretty much on the same, on the same, uh, wavelength there, but he, he's super into nature stuff. So we grew up way out in the middle of nowhere in upstate New York. And it was, so there wasn't a lot of like opportunity in terms of like, like music 
stuff going on. So I always loved music. I played some saxophone and jazz band, but I really loved hip hop. My brother did it and I always thought he was super cool. So from like 15, I like on, I was like obsessed with hip hop, but never had the balls to really go for it. And so I guess just kind of let life kind of take me where it would for a long time. And then in my mid twenties, I found I was miserable, kind of doing the typical nine to five, blah, blah, blah. And I ended up going to the doctor one day and got this really strange diagnosis that had to do with uh, my blood. They're like, they ran a bunch of tests. They're like, yeah, you got this really rare genetic blood thing going on. We don't really know what it is. So you could go out of it, which is cool, there's potential, or it might get really bad. We don't really know what it is. So there's like, good luck. And I was like, uh, thanks. But it was one of those things that was like a kick in the butt that I feel like I really needed to pull me out of the matrix. How old were so, you at that time? 26. 26. Yeah, 25, 26, somewhere in there. At the time, I was working as a substitute high school teacher. I was bartending during the summers, just trying to make money so I could make music. And just nothing. I'd blown all my money on music. I remember at one point, I was down to $100. Actually, speaking of saxophone, I was down to $100. My mom got me a saxophone for my high school graduation. I remember selling it at like a super discounted rate just so I could pay my rent one month. So it was just like, it was not in a good place got this health thing and it was like what am I doing with my life and it just kind of woke me up so yeah that was yeah wow last few years been traveling around I'd always wanted to see the world I, I applied for the Peace Corps uh, got rejected twice and yeah just figured if not now when and so I'd heard a lot about Chiang Mai I was a fan of Johnny FD and kind of those guys doing like online business stuff and I listened to him too before I got on the yes road. you yeah. there's a, it's just comforting almost like knowing that someone has done this before you so mm -hmm. that that's kind of impetus to start it all was uh, some Johnny FD, Chiang Mai blogs, bought a one-way ticket, sold everything that wasn't bolted to the floor of my apartment. In, in New York? Had you been in New York? I, I was in New York for a long time and then I moved to Philly. To be, to my, my older brother lived in West Philly. Okay. So was, I was living in West Philly at the time and then bounced, got a job online teaching English. I moved home for about a month to get a job online, found a job online teaching English and then took off. Wow, and where was the first place you went with this teaching online job yeah. that you had? Chiang Mai? Yeah, Chiang Mai. Chiang Mai. That was, that okay. was the, yeah, that was the first one. Yeah. Ended up in Bangkok. Mm -hmm. So I was in Bangkok for a couple of weeks and then went to Chiang Mai and... So how was Bangkok when you first got there? Like your very first time, was that your very first time abroad? Different. Pretty much. So because my dad was such a hippie, actually I was born in New Zealand because he wanted to get as far from the States as possible for poli like political reasons. like. Captain Planet for Rail for Rail. So okay. I was born in New Zealand, but didn't spend much time there. So in my early 20s, I went back to New Zealand. I didn't have my um, birth certificate or anything like that. So I went back, got my birth certificate, saw New Zealand. That was cool. Other than that, no. So it was my first like real, real time traveling. Wow. Yeah. So it was interesting. Um, so cut to Bangkok. You're arriving yeah. in Bangkok. And how, how was it? Do you have any it was crazy different. impressions about yes. it? <laughs> yes. Yes. So... Do you remember your first time when you got to Asia for like the very first time? Yes. Where did you land for the first time? For me, I was 22 and I already had a teaching job, same as you, but it was going to be in person uh, in Tokyo, Japan. Wow. So I flew from Ohio over to Tokyo and people met me at the airport. Like this company had oh. set up all the different checkpoints to get you to the apartment that they owned. Word. But I still remember landing and I still remember especially being in the busiest train station in the world waiting for the next person to get me to the next phase and they're like it's 18 stops to your apartment wow you know train station and i was like 
eight feet. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, just the scale, the scale that you're not used to in yes. upstate New York or Cincinnati, Ohio, where I'm from, it's like... I, that, it feels, I feel like I was in Blade Runner 2049. Yeah. It's just like a total... And because everything is just different. It's like really hard to explain. Maybe some of your podcast listeners know if they've traveled around a bit, but just the whole... It feels like a totally different world. And so... But there's a... I talk about this a lot. I almost feel like there's a, a freedom sometimes in Asia because there's this chaos. There's just like so much excuse me, that I feel... I, I I don't know. I just feel like very free in the terms of uh, just a lot of things. So I enjoyed Bangkok. It was definitely a little bit much for me. Chiang Mai was definitely a better fit. It's, it was like within a couple of weeks, I was like, this was the right decision. I don't know how you feel about this. I grew up in a small community in Cincinnati, mm-hmm. Ohio, especially a small church community where everybody knew what you were doing all the time because you'd go there three times a week. And so to get to a place like Tokyo, the biggest city in the world, and finally be anonymous was really cool. Exact. That's exactly it. You feel, and, and you don't, at least, this, and again, everything's just from my perspective. I didn't feel like I like, stuck out with people like, oh, this is a white guy. You know, or sometimes you go some places depending on how rural it is. And you feel, and as a white man, I feel like I definitely stick out. They're like, oh, here's a foreigner. I felt like they just didn't care. And it was, that anonymity was like, I was like, I can be whatever I want to be. Right. Can you can rewrite everything because exactly. you're in a new continent. Exactly. You know? Rewrite everything. That's actually a really cool tagline. <laughs> we should bend that. Rewrite everything. But it's true. It was exactly that. Just that freedom would be like, just a, there's like a pressure, I think, that, that and I'm going to talk about this like a thousand times probably, so apologies to your listeners straight up right now, but like this programming that you don't even realize, like it's like an operating system you don't even realize you're running from whatever culture you come from until you or get outside of it. And I was like, oh, I didn't, I couldn't even recognize the programs that I was running, like, um, just like how I thought about the world and myself and people and culture and what's important until seeing how other people's operating systems ran for, to run with the analogy, to be like, I didn't know this was an option. And you you become a minority as well. Yeah. You've grown up as a majority in the States. It's, you know, to to make that switch is such a valuable experience. A thousand. And, And to... I just to be outside of it, I felt like, in, in ways, realized that I was, I recognized my blessings in certain ways, in a lot of ways, which we can talk about a little bit too, but also just that element, I think, of seeing what other people felt was important that was really interesting because it, you realize that those beliefs aren't universal, but until I left, I didn't realize that they weren't. So, yeah, long story longer, um, it was huge, total game changer. Whole new perspective. Whole new perspective. So I'm curious, when you first went to Tokyo, what was the company? Do you remember the company? Sure. It was called Nova. Nova. They had 900 schools in the country at that time. They were kind of at the peak of their operations, and they were expanding, especially to teach children. Mm. Strangely enough, three years after I went there, they went bankrupt because of a scandal about having a policy to not give refunds to students. The students would buy packages of points for their lessons and someone sued the company for not giving them their refund back. Dang. And so it, it was like a bicycle. The, the whole company just, if you didn't get new students in, yes. the bicycle fell over. Yes. And I got out, well, I want to say five months before they went bankrupt. Wow. I just, I was working with some people that were near the top of the company mm-hmm. on the foreigner side mm-hmm. and they were leaving after 10 or 12 years being with the company, like, I was I like... I can read these signs. Something's like, not yeah. right here. So, so, from your Instagram, Tokyo Becky. Yes. Um, I can, Thanks, Keanu. <laughs> for the plug. <laughs> I assume that after that 
and the initial experience, you just kind of fell in love with Tokyo and had started writing that chapter. I assume it was a it was some time before you ended up going on your kind of nomad adventure. Right. I, it actually, I would not become a nomad until thirteen years later after stepping wow. into Tokyo. But Tokyo became my second home. I finally left in twenty seventeen. I left a couple of times before that, but just for six months and ten months, and then I came back. For me, like we talked about with rewriting your history, it was a chance to finally be myself without a very close outside influences being in that small community. So it just became, I think, addictive. Like, what can happen next? Uh, dude, that is so potent. It, it's addictive. Yeah, it's what can happen. Yes. The possibilities are addictive. Exactly. Because you don't have to be anything or do... It's really... Yes, dude. You're yes. writing your own rules. You're not writing... You're not following the rules that you've been told the whole, your exactly. whole life. Exactly. That's my point. That's my... Talk about the operating system stuff. Like, that's it. You get to... It's crazy that when that pressure is gone from your brain and it's like, okay, so now what? If I don't have to give up with the Joneses, if, I don't, if I'm not supposed to go to school, I'm not supposed to be a doctor, I'm not supposed to do this, blah, 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 blah. What do I really want in life? And then it's like, it, yeah, dude, just possibilities. It's addictive, Becky. I'm stealing that. Yeah. That's, feel free to. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's really <laughs> dumb. Wait, so, so you, and I apologize to your listeners if they've heard this a thousand times, but so you, you do the Tokyo thing. Um, for a couple of years with this company, when do you switch it from teaching English to kind of start building your own thing or, or working for something that was kind of outside of the English? Was it after those two, my math is not my strong suit, but I assume that it was about two and two and a half years then? Did you with that with Nova? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So then after Nova, do you, do you continue teaching English to stay there? What do you do for work? I first went back to the States thinking I was going home to start a whole new thing. I have two degrees, English literature mm. and finance. And finance had wow. not been utilized yet. So the what I, I would tell listeners, I know they've heard this before from other people and from me. Yeah. It's also about building your network. Mm. Like I had happened to be in a share house those first two and a half years for the most part. And I met a lot of people by living in the share house. There were 25 people in one share house and then another 25 next door. So all these people living there had friends coming over and one of those friends was someone who worked for PricewaterhouseCoopers, the big four accounting firm. And I thought, maybe I've got a chance if I go back to Tokyo, if they're hiring, I can, you know, talk to him about the process, tell people I know him, maybe it's enough in my credentials and I can get in, and I did. Wow. So I first went back for about six months teaching again, but in an elementary school this time, like a different type of teaching. Mm. I think it's always important to be pushing yourself yeah. to do different experiences, but I actually left on a Friday from three elementary schools, was hired into PricewaterhouseCoopers, and started on the Monday. Wow. So it was sad because I had to say goodbye to the kids in the middle of the school year, but it knew that I had to do it. Yeah. Like, peace is I'm going to go be a consultant? Yeah, tax tax consultant. Wow. I didn't plan that. I did not study tax specifically. They didn't require that you had your CPA or your tax credentials. They were going to train you to do what they needed you to do, which is individual tax returns wow for, yeah for u.s citizens in tokyo that's so i feel like in english literature and finance are so different but i feel like maybe there's still this kind of element um that i could see where there might be some i guess the part of your brain that that you lean into it's like very detail oriented and can kind of like make sense of chaos that is probably some overlap there but 
when you were kind of in that stage, kind of going from English to the Price Warehouse Cooper stuff, um, did you did you have kind of a master plan, or are you just kind of letting life take you where it was taking you? I knew that Pricewaterhouse Coopers was one of those companies you could be at for life. It's still one of those rare companies now that is it's been around for over hundred years. Yes. So I thought this is my ticket. I will move up the company and I will transfer to other countries and do different countries every couple of years, but. You know, by four years in, I was yes. like, I don't want to work the nine to five, yes. and I don't want to work this many hours every week with people that are pretty much unhappy and yeah. all looking for escape routes. A thousand. Because it's so corporate, that kind of job. If you have a yes. hundred years of institution, your your policies are pretty entrenched. Right. So you are. Yeah, it's those are tough because it's there might be people inside that want to change things with you, but like you said, you're kind of entrenched in just like this overall culture that like. That's a big gear to try to turn. I just be like, uh, let me just go where it's a little bit easier to figure out. Yeah, and, and there were some incredible people there. I met incredible clients that we had as well, like really smart people. I'm really grateful for those four years I had there because it showed me what the norm is for most people. Right. Just even having an office where you go in, there's your desk. Right. Dedicated, like you're seeing the same people yep. every day. So it, it taught me a really, really big lesson, but also it taught me more about what I wanted, which was freedom, which yes. you apparently came to as well. <laughs> I think from a similar experience. I, I look back often on a lot of those years. I wasn't Price Warehouse Cooper, so it was still two cubicle type jobs and feel like sometimes I'm like, dang, like I wish I could have that time back to do what I want. And I can say like Kia, so much of, I feel like um, just the gratitude that I feel daily and the blessings for just like, even when things today go terribly, it's like 99% better than when it was before. And the only way you can have that at sometimes is, people can tell you, but it's different when you live that hustle for years. Like you, when you are in the gears, like the machine just like churns you out like year after year, like there's just some real perspective that comes with that. I yes. think so. I so after four years, what was your red pill in the matrix to pull you out? Well, I there had been a big disruption the year before I left. I left in twenty twelve. In twenty eleven, uh, we had the massive earthquake in northern Japan in Tohoku, uh, which like a lot of my coworkers left the country um, the year before I left because it wow. it also was an opportunity to transfer. People understood that Japan wasn't so safe to live in at that time. We didn't know if there'd be more earthquakes or, you know, just a lot of the clients wanted to leave too. And so we didn't know the future, you know, the size of our business. And it just became like it didn't feel like the best place to be anymore. And and so I stayed one more year, actually one and a half more years. But I thought, this do I want to do this? This is good to ask for anybody listening. Is what I'm doing right now what I want to do the rest of my life? Where do I think that I want to be in like even five years time right is it here no then it's better to leave sooner than later right right yeah. because that's another thing too interesting you said I wanted to leave in the took a year and a half yeah because that's so many people's stories it's exactly because it's like the feelings start to fester but you don't really realize it until it like they build up so much like oh okay and then it like leads to action but like they start early like they start hella early and then you're like it was the same, dude. Same, exactly the same for, for me. I think um, learning to listen to that feeling and like get out sooner is important. But again, one of those things that almost, almost got to have the experience to kind of feel it. You know what I mean? You're, you're pointing to something that does. It's a fear that a lot of people have about taking a leap, especially to go to a different country. Yeah. They think, 
I will be able to communicate. I am going to be so alone because of that. Right. But, I mean, you would be very surprised how much you can get just from gestures, just from facial expressions to start. And then there's enough yes. crossover of, the, of language now, especially with English, that exactly. the basics can happen. And you don't have to be afraid of that. Do not let that be. Don't, don't, I guess also don't be afraid of just making a fool of yourself. Yes. <laughs> that, is, that is a gem for the listeners. That's a Becky gem. Don't be afraid of making a fool of yourself. That goes a really long because you absolutely will. So you have to just like let your pride totally go. And practice at home. That's yes. something you can do long before you get on the plane. Yes. <laughs> practice at home. Let the ego go. You will make a fool of yourself. And hopefully you have the uh, enough, um, good enough sense of humor that you can laugh at yourself too. Because you will mess up about just so many small things. And you'll be offensive by accident and just being able to like let it role you know what I mean because I am still curious you leave PwC is that when you start doing your own thing I'm curious when how you I, I feel like you're doing some really cool stuff now I'm curious kind of when that started so it's interesting like and maybe my story is um, and I want to hear how you transitioned as well yes my, absolutely. my story was um, like I, I, I thought you know what I want to go back to teaching it's because really? teaching is going to be is going to be more flexible, at least like I had this dream of having summers off. After years of having certain parts of my year, I was unable to take vacation. Yeah, especially for tax for taxes. For taxes, tax season, off limits, and so certain things like going to South America during their summer, it was never gonna happen. Wow. You know? So I started after the fourth year missing that opportunity, like I, I don't want to have a job where. Yes. But again, I mean, teaching has its own schedule as well with like days off, but I thought, let's, let's head that way. So I went back to home again and realized that if I wanted to get a master's in education, because I didn't, as you've heard, I didn't uh, major in education, yeah. I thought, I actually need to go back to Japan and make money teaching because I could make a lot more money teaching there and set my schedule better than teaching in an in a Ohio school. Huh. I mean, it's, it's, the schedule there is brutal and all the extra yes. forms they make you fill out and everything else. So that's what I decided to do. I actually applied to the University of Cincinnati, my hometown, but it was wow. all distance learning. So I got in, but then I did the whole course in Tokyo again. So okay, I you did the whole master's program. Yep, online. in Tokyo online. So Becky, that's crazy. Yeah. Wow. I hope this is inspiring people that they can they can do the same. But a lot of it happened through meeting people randomly and putting yourself out in kind of uncomfortable situations. The job I had afterwards, which I never would have dreamed existed. I actually got by walking into a bar for a pub quiz, being alone, needing a team, seeing two white guys at a table and asking if I could join them. And because I'm kind of chatty by nature yeah. and wanted to connect with them, I just said, this is me, this is who I'm, I am, this is what I'm doing, which included, I'm looking for a job, I just got back to Tokyo. And one of them was like the assistant hiring manager of this English teaching company that goes into law, mostly law firms and teaches executives, teaches lawyers, which now I had the business background, like from teaching and for four years, and I was getting a master's, which looked even better to them. So they were like, and I'm a woman. I think it helped that I was a woman as well. There weren't that many women in the company. They're like, you're hired, you oh, know? Wow. So then I worked there for four years. Wow. While, while getting my degree in, and, and a master's and having teaching experience. Dang, so, and so what was that job? You were teaching executives? Yeah, and there's a lot of jobs like this, actually around Asia in particular these days, if people are interested in teaching, like you can do it yourself. I think you could really pound the pavement and 
go and cold call some of these companies with your English and form your own business. That's how this company started actually. But um, I was going in one-on-one -on -one with business executives and in my case, mostly lawyers. The law firm needed more English training, but these lawyers are so busy, they can't go outside yeah. and go to a school. So we came to them. We didn't even have an office. We just, we got a cabinet. We had all of our stuff in the cabinet <laughs> in their hallway. And we just came into their, their boardrooms, their meeting rooms, and would wait for the lawyers to come out of their offices and sit with us for an hour. And it was one-on-one. -on -one. It, um, it was very nice that way. Not so much pressure if you just got one student. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I thought it was a great balance, and I'm still so very thankful for that job. Did you find the flexibility you were looking for with that gig? Yes and no, and that's where I was going to, oh. with that. After four more years yes. of that, I had my degree. It was a two-year degree, and then... You know, it still needed to happen in a, in a place, in a physical place. And after a while, and they, the lawyers work long hours, so we would teach as late as 9 p.m. So, it, you That's know, it could, be, it could be a day where you're not able to go home, but you leave your house at, you know, okay, this is going to sound easy, but like 11 a.m., 10 a.m., but you could be out in the, you know, financial center of Tokyo yeah. just in a cafe or there's not a lot of places to chill yeah in that area while you're waiting for your next class and you're not paid between classes Ooh. i mean who is yeah so it's it became after four years a little bit like well i still can't completely go where i want when i yes. want. I still don't have the full freedom so what can i do to to get free this way and actually the funniest part was the way i got free was by inspiring someone else to get free i just was i had another friend I'd met in a share house in a different share house and I said you're working for one of the like lowest ranked English teaching schools in Tokyo and you're better than that like I don't know like you can better yourself and then he just got inspired he bettered himself he started making a website like I'm gonna I'm gonna become location independent within a year and um, he actually realized his father was doing something that was location independent already on the side and he got a job through his dad, and then he got uh, some of his friends' jobs, including me. What? Teaching English? Proofreading. Proofreading. That's what I do now. So that's where it's coming together. Yeah. Wow. So, Becky, so... Networking is so important. That's what I have to say. Ne you know, meet a lot of people and, and be interested in them yeah. and do what you can to help them as well, because you really don't know where that's going to lead. I think that the guy I met in the bar who gave me the job... I'm sure that they needed somebody at that time, or yeah. they needed to manage that schedule a bit more. So I was also helping him by yeah. working and giving my time. It wasn't just like he hey, did me a favor. Uh, right. I yeah. need a job. No, normally, people are hiring. It's like, it can be a pain in the butt. You go through all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. So if you have a dope candidate right there in person, yeah. like, yeah, let's try it. Wow. And so it was through the proofreading company, and that was three years ago. Yeah. That was, so yeah, in 2017, I, I left um, that, yeah, I left teaching and started doing proofreading wow. full time, so. What was that transition like for you? When you finally get that kind of slice of freedom, when it's like, okay, like, you can go anywhere, do it, like, what do you do? I had um, already been doing it for a little while, just part-time, part-time, to kind of see uh, how I liked it, see, but I started to realize that they could give me enough work that it could be full-time. Uh, so I, yeah, I just, it, it was a bit of a take the leap and hope work keeps coming yes. in, you know, you're not sure because it was my only client. And I think that that's one thing I would tell people, I'm sure you would do your best to have multiple streams of income yeah. because you need to rely, especially this year, it's been yes, so crazy for all of us. Yeah. 
Yeah, but that was, I mean, the transition, though, was pretty seamless because I knew already exactly how to do my job, and it wasn't, there was no, the only transition was having to sell all my stuff, pack it all up, yeah. get rid of my apartment, which I did, and leave a country that had been very comfortable for me for years. Wow. I, so with the teaching English, did you ever want to teach English online for the flexibility? Uh, it is it is something I would like to do in oh, the future. It's oh, I was going to say, even in the past, was that ever un, an option? Like when you're doing the English stuff, to be like, okay, I don't like the schedule, but I like teaching English. I think, I think at that time, it still wasn't big enough. It, ah. still, they, it was still growing rapidly. Yeah. And a lot of uh, countries didn't have great Wi-Fi yet. Mm. And I was waiting for you know some cheaper, more affordable countries to come online with Wi-Fi. I right. think to this day, some people in America think that there's like no internet in some <laughs> yes. countries. But actually now, I would say around the world, it's, it's decent enough for you to work. Yes, I found, and this is something I'd love to pick your brain on too, but the, the, the re, that was my first job online because I knew it was a flexible job, was to teach English online. And like, that's one thing, I, I, when I was in Philly and I was subbing, for probably two years I was applying to a ton of different jobs and couldn't get any of them. I couldn't get a job, I got rejected from Whole Foods just to like be a stock boy at Whole Foods. I couldn't land, like I was working this temp company and all they had was like van cleaners. And, and this I, is the reality now. I, do. I think what you're describing, so many people a are experiencing this. And I've got a, a degree, you know what I mean? A degree and I was like, couldn't get a job at Whole Foods. And so I was like, what is going on? But the one thing, thing about like, okay, what are my skills? Really good, these music things, but I was like, how can I leverage those? Couldn't figure it out, but I was like, the one thing, this is where it come blessings of, I guess, being an American, come in of just English is our native language. And so realizing that like, I could always get a job online teaching English. And so that was kind of my flexible job. I'm just a. I'm, when did you realize that you could get a job teaching online? Did you meet someone who told you about it? Or? I did. It was probably through just being into digital nomad stuff. Johnny um, FT. Yeah, Johnny FT. The whole just the whole like subreddits of digital nomadism and the podcast and everything. Just being like, oh, that's something that people tend to do, and it was something where I was like, I'm not super passionate about teaching English, but to be like, how can I pay the bills online while I'm figuring it out? That. That, that was like, the, when people are like, ah, how do I make money? I'm like, unlock. If you're an American, like, there are jobs for you on licensed English. Because some people want to know, like, want to know our language. So it's like, it wasn't a huge check, but especially if you live in Southeast Asia, things are so cheap that, like, you don't need a ton to make it work, you know? And, and so, I think what you said is really valuable. Like, be flexible. Be open to doing something that you're not, like in love with yes. and super passionate about just to trade off to get exactly which is what I do even now with proofreading it's not I didn't I wasn't seven years old going <laughs> yes that's what I want but I, 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 I don't mind it I it's I know how to do it really well and it's like it's doing it's giving me the lifestyle I want so I, I can't I'm just blessed I can't complain it's all about it a thousand and that's what I think with the teaching English stuff too was it was at the time I was like this isn't my favorite thing to do, but especially if you use kind of um, location arbitrage in a certain way and that you don't spend beyond your means, there was a point where I probably wasn't working, I don't know, more than like 10 hours a week teaching English because my expenses were so low, living in a family, you know, apartment, the nicest apartment I ever lived in was $230 a month, like, so, wow. exactly, and so, people don't even, I think people can't imagine it's that cheap, exactly, you know? and, and the infrastructure like you said, especially in some of these Asian countries, is so good. It's like you can have this experience. Yes, when you're traveling there, there will, or living in these other places, there will always be these give and take. But like the actual like 
quality of life I had was just as great as if it was actually probably better because it was like I was living in a nicer place I probably had nicer amenities you know what I mean like I actually could get around I could take you know what I mean because in New York for the same you wouldn't even be able to get any sort of place in here you get like half of a closet but when I was living in New York my quality of life was so poor for like three grand a month compared to like living in like having like a dope spot with a little balcony and like for like 500 a month you know what I mean so it's just totally different but I think understanding too, if you make that, if you, if, if your listeners, if they are going to make that leap with something like that, having some sort of a, like you said, five year plan to say, okay, so what is my building towards? And that was part of it. I said, okay, so I'm not teaching English forever, but to at least know, to be like working on something else so that I'm not, I don't have to do this forever. Right. If, if you don't, if you don't love it, but you get, you just get that time back. Rather yes. than working 40, 50, 60 hours a week. I was like, okay, now I'm working 10 hours a week, and now I still, so now what do I do? You know, and that's where the the rewriting history type of stuff comes in, where you're just like, so now what? And the people that you meet, well, that's yes. a whole other podcast, but like the yes. energy that they have, because they're trying to do the same thing. You're meeting a lot of people hustling, yes. and that is also contagious, infectious, whatever you that want to call it. Everything. And it, it levels you up even more than if you were, because my parents have a really nice size home in Cincinnati, uh, in a suburb, and I think like when I go home, wow, I'm walking around the house, there's quite a bit of room in here compared to my studio apartment <laughs> that I usually live in, but it, it sometimes feels suffocating because yeah. there's not, I mean, we can start new hobbies, we can do new things, but that responsibility to upkeep and take care of such a big place and you're not luckily my parents are real you know they go to a church they have community through that yes. but if you don't if you're just driving to your job and then coming home it it can feel so much lonelier for so much more money than what we experience in southeast asia or at many places in the world it doesn't just have to be right southeast asia. But a thousand you become Almost like you end up working, you become an employee to like your stuff, you know? And that, I love that phrase. And that, that I think has been really, and again, different priorities, different, there may be a time in my life where I'm like, I want to have some kids, I want to have my own place, blah, blah, blah. But it depends on what you want. And and I think that, like you said, the more things you accumulate, the more space you have, the more time it takes to take care of it. Like you said, living in a little studio apartment. Or not having, you know, now I live out of a backpack. And so it's like, I don't have a lot of clothes. I don't have a lot of things. So I just don't have to spend a lot of time thinking about it. I don't need a lot of space to put all everything. And then I can just spend that time, that energy, like, just on stuff that I do find really important. But I think to your point, there's, you don't, i saying you, meaning me, might not realize that, like, those things that we believe are important are, like, I hate to keep coming back to it, but, like, those are things that are like culturally felt as important. So they like that keeping up with the Joneses type of thing. That when that when you live somewhere else, that with the anonymity sort of element, or maybe in that culture they think it too. But since it's not it's not like your culture necessarily, I find like I'm able to just like figure out what's more important to me easier rather than being like influenced by what I see or what I'm around and. I mean, you are influenced by who you're, who you're around. Like you said, I wouldn't be where I am today if it weren't for people that were really successful that were nice enough to take me out to dinner or just say, hey, and drop some gems on me. But meaning, like, just culturally relevant. Like, if you're living in New York, working in New York, in the city, you, it's just like, it bleeds into you. 
You know what I mean? Like you don't even realize that those things, it's just because what everybody does. So it's like you work 80 hour weeks and you hustle and you try to get to the top and you try to make as much as you can because you're in New York and it's like, that's what you do. Or I'm trying to make it. So, you know, like you gotta, you gotta hustle just to be there. Remember some of these other places when I just felt like when that pressure was really, I just had more time to really like create who I wanted to be. And let's talk about creativity because I know you were trying to figure yes. out how to transition from teaching to yes. what you really want to do, which it sounds like it was music. Uh, so what do, you, what do you do now? Were you able to make that transition? And, and I want to give, so first of all, I have a lot of people to give credit to. So I guess shout them out. But like you said, <laughs> it is all about who you meet and especially in these, in certain cities where they're like other nomads and stuff hustling. You just like, I was like, you don't even realize that's an option. And I'll be like, you're making how much you're doing what? I'll be like, that's crazy. So, first of all, shout out to my mom one time. <laughs> because, mom, I realized the older I get, the more I owe everything to mom. Just for, like, that, uh, the support. You know, that she's... I realized that, like, idea that like feel like I even could go for it. It's just from, like, having uh, a rock star mom. Just that was, like, emotionally, like, yeah, Kia, like, you can do it. And so, even from... A young age, it was just like, I was like, why not go try, you know, just really just like try weird stuff. My dad was a children's author and storyteller. So like, like being off the beaten path, I wasn't from a family that was like, you need to be a lawyer. So realizing like that, first of all, as a construct, like just for your listeners coming in, that like, that's a blessing in of itself. I didn't have to be like, hey guys, I'm going to go try to figure out something to do in Asia. And they were like, but you're taking over the family business. They're like, Good luck if you can do it financially. Like, do what you want to do. So, like, don't do drugs and have fun. So, like, or do drugs and just be safe. So, I was like, shout out mom one time. Another one is a bunch of homies in Chiang Mai. But one friend, especially, I'd say a friend and a mentor. It was about two years ago. And we both were, he was really into playing guitar. Like I said, I've always been into hip-hop. So, I always made beats. And tried a bunch of online businesses selling beats and selling these things and they all failed and we met up at a cafe in Chiang Mai and he was like we were talking about creating a course because in these nomad circles you meet a lot of coaches and a lot of course creators and people who create digital products sell online digital products around their brand or their business and so I was like oh maybe I could teach music production or something like that and so he he was thinking about maybe teaching some stuff with guitar and I was still teaching English at the time. He was a software engineer at Patreon, the school company in San Francisco. He was taking a year off just to like travel around, kind of see what else was out there. But I was like, dude, you, you know, some sort guitar, you should make a course. You should like coach this stuff. He was like, okay, maybe I'll give it a shot. And he's like, you should probably do the same for beat making. I was like, yeah, yeah, it's a good idea, whatever. A couple months later, he's like, he, he slides in the DM on Facebook. He's like, he's like, I just made, I forget what it was, it was like, in a week, he made like 15 grand from his like guitar course or something like that. And he's like, he's like, I haven't even built the course yet. I just asked some people like, hey, if I made a course, would you pay this much for it? And they're like, yeah. And he's like, cool. And he's like, if I make, if I get 10 people on board, then I'll make the course. And so it was just this beautiful kind of like, he's been a huge inspiration to kind of see that one, you don't have to have everything figured out. That you just kind of like take the leap. You have skills that you almost like, um you like source the material from your customers and your customers can be friends, family, homies at first until you actually have customers. But like, you don't have to have like the beautiful idea of thin air. You just ask your friends, 
what would you pay me to teach you? Like, what's something that you think is like something I'm really strong at that I could teach people or that you would be down to pay for? And they say, oh, I love that you make beats or something. And be like, okay, cool. Would you pay me $100 to, to teach you how to make beats? And they're like, sure. And you're like, okay, I'm going to try to get 10 other friends. If 10 people, if I get 10 people to pay me, then I'll make the course for you guys. If not, then um, I'll refund your money. And so it's like, you validate the idea and then you just go for it, you know? So that's where, needless to say, after two years, after one year of him doing his coaching stuff, and he called me one day too, I remember, still in Chiang Mai, I was still teaching English online, I was like trying to put stuff together for my course. He was like, hey, Key, I just want to say thank you again for kicking my butt. He was like, I just hit my first six-figure month, like selling my, my coaching. And I was like, I was like, yo, we about to go sizzler, dude. Like, we, I got to get it. You feel me? So <laughs> it was him. He was like, what are you doing still teaching English? Because it was a crutch at the time where I felt like saying no matter what it is, it was a blessing, but I could tell I wasn't in love with it. I'd done it for two years at that point in Chiang Mai. I was like, I, I was ready to do, I, I was trying other stuff, failing and all these other things. And it was like, almost like you said, sometimes you kind of got to burn your boats and just kind of sh- just jump into it. So went forward and... So we're, we're, we're making it happen. So and you made your course. And, uh, yeah. So so I made the course. Course tanked. Nobody bought it because I didn't validate the idea. Like I just told everybody they should. Because I was too scared. I was like, I'm gonna build the course and then sell it, which nobody did. And then what ended up switching was adding more like high touch to it. So it was like a course with coaching around it. And like just what Gary V. Like just go listen to some Gary V. videos and like that's all you got to do is like make content around what you love to do, and then people. Like find the content and then want to work with you and then you sell your thing and you do the thing. It's like, it's pretty simple, but we make it way more complicated than it needs to be. And still pursuing like my solo artist career, but then also doing the, the music stuff, like the, the coaching music production stuff at the same time. So they kind of like, how, how, did, how are you building that like side business of coaching? Like how are you, where were you putting your content? I yeah. guess you could say for people to see it. Yeah. So, uh, that so a lot of that actually especially when I first started was it's it's net, like you said your network like I wasn't getting a ton of new customers online I was just like hey as you start putting stuff out there you start asking people hey you know anyone that makes beats they go no okay A, a to Z in your contact list hey Becky you know anyone that makes beats uh no I don't okay hey Brandon you know anyone that makes beats uh no I don't uh oh hey um uh Candice you know anyone that makes beats yeah I do awesome would you put me in touch with like you just hustle hand to hand with it straight up. I just started making content on my own personal Facebook page. And just started with that. I started a little podcast around beat making, just making videos and me making beats and just like started with homies. On YouTube? I, on YouTube it's is YouTube. huge. Yeah. So that's where I'm really focusing now. But YouTube itself is its own hustle. YouTube, I think, is such a dope business opportunity, but it's really hard to crack because it's like it's a hustle like anything else. So it's a lot of work. But um, I think YouTube is huge. But what I'm saying is you don't, it's not like they have a huge brand online. Like you can start, you seriously start with homies or just like acquaintances. And you can make enough to exactly. keep and, going and, and support yourself. A thousand. And, and then you go from there and, and you leverage those and you take the content and whatever. So, um, yeah. So if people, hey, if you're listening and you want to learn how to make beats, holler at me. Kia, yeah. Kia Orion. Um, Google me. That'll show up all over the place with where is the best place if people wanted to take your course or so, so follow you? Where, where, where would that be? I'd say actually email me is really, which is the odd one. But I'm like on my super like trying to take over the world game. So like I don't have any notifications on. 
So, but I do check my email once a day. So I'm like, kia at kiaorion.com. Okay. Shoot me an email. Like, straight up. Like, I'd love the follows on social and stuff, but it's something where um, I, I'm, I'm still, like, have the dream of, like, headlining in Madison Square Garden someday. You know what I mean? Just like... Love it. But one of those things, too, where it's like... And that's part of the, the beauty of this whole adventure, and I'd love to pick your brain about that, too, of being like, whether that happens or not is irrelevant just because the pursuit, like is the game and just being like that's something that like being out of the rat race I feel so blessed every day to be like it's cool to like shoot for whatever you you are shooting for as the listener but just like from those days in the office right that even when I have a day it all goes terribly to be like at least I got to try today that is the thing you know that it's like that's a great day if it fails or not like the beauty because you get, then eventually you get to the thing and then you want the next thing because that's what it is just to be human, you know? Yeah. So I'd be curious, Becky, where in terms of like your, what would be your Madison Square Garden? Like what does that look like for you in terms of, I guess, your own online biz? I, I love that question. So I have started like this year, I published, self-published my first book, which I hadn't really talked about on the podcast. So I was going to do a different episode Dude, about it. congrats. But we were talking before about having these smaller apartments with balconies and just having most of your like lifestyle in Southeast Asia, for example, being outside and maybe walking to places rather than having to get in your car. That's what my book was about. It was about the neighborhood that I lived in for nine years in Tokyo. It's a guidebook to it. And of course it was published in the midst of Corona. So people can't actually go there right now unless you're already in Japan. But, um, it, that was a really like eye-opening experience to get that done. And again, it was like you said, it's just you got to work on it. You got to yes. have it published. It's starting small, but I hope it can go bigger once people can start to see it. It's called Shimokitazawa, the Tokyo Beginner's Guide to the World's Most Walkable Neighborhood. Wow. What? Look it up on Amazon. Yes. Wait, what inspired Becky? that? <laughs> oh, because I, I loved that neighborhood so much. I think it's one reason I stayed in Tokyo for so long. It was so walkable. It was so artistic and musical all together and I just like felt blessed to be able to walk around that place every day and every time I go back to Tokyo I either try to stay very close to there or I visit as much as I can but this this year was special because I spent seven months of uh, uh, corona time in Tokyo so I got to be there for a while again and I like yeah finally cranked that out um, and I think I think Corona actually oh, for, for helping me. Thank finish you. It. For the There's mic. some positives to being locked down. But there we is. weren't locked down actually there, but I had you know made a, a small circle of friends that were pushing me forward with that too. Like they were excited, and um, so now it's for those of you who are not familiar, it's NaNoWriMo. It's November National Novel Writing Month, which is a oh. movement that's been going on for over ten years. And I like decided this month to start writing another book. And so it's young adult fiction, so I'm gonna say, but it's fun to start writing another, this time it's fiction. That was a guidebook. But ideally it'd be nice to make some money writing books and continuing on with just more creative pursuits. Yeah. Yeah. Becky, have you, have you always been writing? Like on the not side? not no. always, but I, I read a lot as a child, and I I, have, I do write from time to time. But I'm trying to push the writing more now, dude. Because just the creative process, which we haven't 
taken a deep dive into yet, but that is something you need in your life. That's why I was an English major as well as a finance major. The finance was the hedge. It's like you need creativity and a chance to produce things in your life. Yes. Like this course that you made, you know? A thousand. Exactly. For me, I think that there's the education piece to which I love, and that's where the course comes in. I think that will always be a part of it because I like I just like to share like and I'm like here are the gems please don't make the mistakes I did but in terms of that create like you said the creative process I I stumble my way through business and I'm obsessed with business I love business but I'm not like a businessman at heart I'd say like at heart I'm more of a creative like you leave me alone and just like you say Kia like your room and board are paid for like do whatever you want with your I'm just gonna make stuff i come to have a passion for the business element of it but I'm, I wasn't like the born like entrepreneur type dude I've just been like really passionate about the, the creative stuff. I'm so obsessed with creativity and the creative process and the idea of skill over talent. So much of these things, I think, are people we feel like the creative thing is like you have it or you don't. Compared to just that being is like... Very, so not true. That's so not true. Compared to just being like, you make it a daily practice or whatever practice you can, that it's like, it, it is a practice. That's the thing. It's like nobody just like writes something brilliant and one time and then that's it it's like there's a lot of reps that go into that that you just don't even see behind the board of them writing terrible drafts like things that never got published you just see the things that do get published that, that do well but also to your point with the creative process of, of the importance i think of shipping stuff meaning like getting it out there like one reason or another like my dad actually included being a writer children's author for a long time he has stuff that he just like wrote which i love that you do it you don't do it for the validation. You do it just for you and the beauty and the process that you have the privilege to work on the project. But I do think there is something important about shipping it. I think we get caught then worrying about the reception after shipping it compared to just putting it out in the world and it's like, cool, I did it. It's out there. You can listen to it, buy it on Amazon, whatever. But then if it, maybe it doesn't like hit the feeling it wasn't worth it or something if you don't hit the New York Times bestseller or something like that, which I think is the crazy part of still shipping it I'd be curious, what's kind of your, kind of that give and take in terms of your dreams and aspirations in writing, and also how much do you need, or do you kind of want those like stamps of approval or validation in terms of external forces giving you that with your writing? I actually don't need a lot of stamps of approval. That's what I realized. Like, I just kind of got over the idea that, okay, maybe this guidebook is not going to be the best guidebook you've ever read. Maybe it's not funny enough or something. (laughs) But for me, it was more important to just get it done. Like you said, ship it. And that was also, I thought, this is the first one. What are the chances your first one's going to be perfect? Exactly. The number of people that have actually shipped versus the ones who've talked about it. And and that also judge you for (laughs) for your shipped product. Those will always be the ones that judge you the hardest, too. I, I have had a lot of questions, and I think it's just, some of it is just natural curiosity, but how's your book selling? And, like, I don't even think about it. Like, I check it every now and then, yes. but it's not, it was not about how much is it going to sell. I did want to help people. I think it's great to make something that you think is going to help people and give them a spark in their day or right. something. Like, I want people to enjoy this neighborhood. useful. Exactly. Yeah. It was about, like, see what this feels like when you go. And I hope, and I say this in the book, I hope you can recreate this in your own neighborhood. Like, I don't expect you to go to Japan yeah. move in. Right. Know? But... Maybe that's going to make you go back home and open a little mom and pop shop that didn't exist right in the middle of the suburb because, you know, right. it's, it's, it feels good to have it right there outside your door instead of getting in the car. I think it's really interesting, too, in the States, 
how this isn't something I realized until going abroad as well. This element of community, and especially I think here in Mexico and American cultures, it's huge. Like there's people outside. I love it. Yeah. It's huge, and and I felt that everywhere I've been in Mexico, compared to in the states where it's like everyone else is dangerous. So it's like, honey, don't play too far in the street. Worry about like who are those neighbors' kids. Like don't you know what I mean? Which is completely shift when it feels like everyone is an enemy compared to this community element where it's like we're all in this together type of thing. And I felt that in Vietnam, honestly, too. A lot of guys just, like, sitting out, like, on the sidewalk, just, like, drinking or playing cards or just, like, chilling, just, like, kids running around. It's just, like, a there's more of a vibe, this community element in the neighborhood that, like, um, here, I just think it's really resonated with me a lot here of just how much that kind of community neighborhood vibe exists and how different... I feel like sometimes it exists in the States. And I think it's one thing that people in the States are dreaming about when they go to New York. When they dream of moving to New York City, that was a big part of it for so long. But the problem is we started pricing everybody out and just wanting people to own property and not even live there. And so you lost that community. And I think the only way to get it back in San Francisco, for example, as well, is just to... Like, you've got to bring down the price or do some, subsidize something yes. to get creative people back in. Yes. Because, you know, people that are working at Google aren't going <laughs> to be able to, to fill in all the gaps. You know what I mean? By, Google has so many jobs. That's one type of person. They all have many hobbies, but, like, you, they can't, like, make up for variety and yes. no. everybody in it together. When you build a great community... People love to either go there or especially live there yeah. and get there every day. Right now, we don't get to see yes. it as much, but I hope by next year in the future. We, can, we can come back to it and appreciate it even more. I think people will. I think all, people will yeah, appreciate I think the community. There's still a space for live events and those things. I think it'll be one of those things that now people just, you, you don't take it for granted now that we don't have it. Right. I would be curious to pick your brain a little bit about after 2017, some of your travels since, because I feel like... Yeah. There have been some spots where you had gems, and I was like, dude, I would love to chat with Becky more about them. We chatted a little bit before, I think, the first night that we met, but I'm curious. So after 2017, you have this amazing neighborhood. You love it. You're in Japan. What's the first place that you you kind of put your bet your cards on and jump to next? You're going to love this, Kia. Finally, I got to go to New Zealand. Oh, really? But, but not just like a two-week trip to New Zealand. Like most people from the States would take. It yes. was like five weeks. It was like... Try, I mean, I wanted to stay even longer, but, you know, it's not the cheapest what? place to go either. Dude, it so is... go when you have the most money, you just quit your job. It, <laughs> that's crazy. People don't understand New Zealand is expensive because it's an island and their currency and everything is super strong. Like, I didn't realize... I did zero traveling when I was there. People are like, Kia, why would you travel? I was like, it's so expensive. Like, y'all don't understand. Like, it's not one of those places you go on a street string budget and it's just... To, I mean, that is so interesting. Why New Zealand? I was leaving Japan, and it was the time zone was just about the same, just a couple hours different. It was an easy, direct flight down from Tokyo to Auckland. So it made the most sense for me to go there from Japan and start there, and then I did that. Then I actually went home and like was there for just a little bit, like fixing some of my luggage, uh-huh. but then got back out and did South America. But the way I wanted to, which was like five months of South America. Again, because coming to South America from Japan, that is different. the longest Dude, different bit of travel different you can do. Too. Yes. Yeah. Wait, so, where, where's your first adventure in South America? So I've been to Argentina several times, but I, I absolutely love Buenos Aires. But Argentina, finally got to go to Colombia for the first time. Bolivia. 
and Chile for the first time, and Uruguay, which is just right yes. next door to Argentina. I just did a week there. That's a beautiful country a lot of people don't even realize exists. And yeah, I've been to Brazil before, so I didn't add Brazil that time because it's just a whole other beast. That's what happens when you can work location independent is you can take your time to go through these places. You, after Japan, you're, I would assume you were stuck in Asia. Like, but I had seen a lot of Asia because that was my base. So, so when I was already... short trips, ah. I went to Asian countries first. And then as I got to a point where I was going to have to start going really far afield, I then started to think I actually would like to shift out of Tokyo yeah. for a while and be able to see some of these other places, but not be exhausted. Yeah. And have to rush back to work by a certain a thousand. time. Yeah, so like... I'm now working on being based in Europe from hopefully next year because I have never been based in Europe. You know, mm -hmm. I want to go to Egypt. Yes. I want to go to more of Africa. And that was never close to the States or to Japan. When so. you were doing those little Asian, the, the trips out in Asia, maybe these other Asian countries, did you have like any favorites other than Japan? Where you went? Oh like, yeah. Like, like, I love India. India is a wild experience. I've heard. I've been dying to get to India. And um, Nepal. If you love hiking, if you love trekking, it's Don't. just so cool. And Bhutan as well. Bhutan's a tricky one because I was working three jobs when I went there, which is how I justified spending three thousand dollars for one week, which is what oh the my tour cost. But I was like, you know what? I'm never gonna have this money again. Maybe, maybe not. So let's go just go now. It. And I'm, you know, very glad I did. And it was a, a organized tour because that's how you had to do it. You had to get a group visa wow. when you arrived. That's just how it works right now. But it's just a magical country. And to go to a place that isn't overrun with tourists yes. and isn't touched by all the industrialization yet is really cool. So that was the, the short things I was doing coming out of Japan, like being gone for usually two weeks at the most. I'm a slow mad at heart, so like I don't do nearly as much like bopping. I was not a slow mad at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Now I am. I was gonna say. Thanks, Corona. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. It sounds like you hit a lot of spots. I, um, yeah, it's hard to get me out the out the country. Once I've kind of I put my roots in there, like I'm I'm kind of there for a minute. So I didn't do quite as much bopping. Did you bop over to Vietnam? Yes, I've been to Vietnam twice, but it was yeah from from Tokyo. So the first time was just like two thousand seven, a long time ago. Wow. I just went to Halong Bay. That was my big thing. So a little bit of Hanoi, Ho Chi Minh, and then Halong Bay, which is three hours away from yes. Hanoi. This is the this is the thing that I always I always promote, but it's not a lot of people are going to take me up on this. I went to the largest cave in the world, which is called Hong Song Dong. It's in central Vietnam. And I'd seen an article from National Geographic about this cave being rediscovered because a farmer found it in the 90s. And then he found it again. I think it was in 2000, I want to say 2009, he found it again. And then in 2013, he partnered like British cavers because as you know, British, New Zealand, like there's some really good cavers from yes. those countries. They partnered with the local Vietnamese and they started giving tours, but um, they only would do 10 people a week. And they only did it from February to August every year. So here I was, a person who had paid three grand once to go to Bhutan. So it was about the same price <laughs> to do this for a week. But again, it was like, what if they stopped doing tours? Yeah. And so I applied to do it like six months before I went. But it was, wow. I mean, we were the only 10 people that we saw for six days in this trek inside the cave. And you sleep in the cave. You actually go through two caves, but... The, the second one you get to is the largest one in the world. Baby, that is crazy. Yeah. Did, did you a... kick it into name? 
At all? Ever? No. The funny thing is, sometimes I don't end up in the most popular locations. Yeah. For, oh, for nomads. You no, know? I was going to say, in, in, central, in central Vietnam. But on the list. Uh, it's on the list. And Hoi An's on the list, too. I haven't been to Hoi An's so, either. You, when you hit one, you'll be able to knock them both down, because they're so close. I loved Da Nang. Probably my favorite city I've ever lived in. It was just dope. So if you ever do, go back to Vietnam. But oh, I, I will. I, it was supposed to be this year. I, w- I would have gone after a bit of Chiang Mai. Um, so we didn't do it. That's so dope. Yeah. In the Chiang Mai, then Vietnam. That exposure for me has really helped me just, one, be more open-minded to other people, what's out there. Really trust, I think, in humans that like 99% are dope. That like when you get into weird situations, most of the time, I have, I have so many stories of when people who didn't know me, didn't know anything about me, helped me out. The universe just kind of worked out for me one way or another. So many stories. Um, compared to stories of like, that I was in danger, got taken advantage of type of stories. It's like so heavy in one direction. Another element is I think that exposure helps me often feel grateful for what I am, who I am, what I have. That like when you're in the States, because everyone's an American when you're there, like you're inundated kind of in the culture that you don't realize like how much of a blessing teaching English is, having a US passport, speaking English, and just like being able to navigate anywhere in the world with that. like. It's made me incredibly grateful to be an American, as crazy as that sounds. In the States, I'm like, yeah, I'm the majority is being a white male, so I'm like, okay, I'm already like playing life on easy difficulty, and then like just getting out of the States, being like, oh no, I'm in like the super sliver one percent. I'm just like, you just see how other people be living, like, yeah, game changer, dude, game changer. And for you, you've seen a lot more stuff than I have. I feel like there's probably a lot of that perspective, even on your hard days, to be like being in some rural town in Laos somewhere and you're like it's real out here dude yeah and you realize like you said you don't need very much yes. you can just live out of your suitcase and you still feel grateful Becky I'm wondering your experience have I've found often the people that have the least have been the most generous with me oh yeah the people yeah oh India Which for example I, I mean I was fortunate enough to go to India the first time meeting a friend there I had lived with in Japan this friend was there in Japan working on a short-term assignment, so I got a chance to know him and then meet him in India, and he like introduced me to his family, and they're taking me around the neighborhood, and you're going into people's homes, and they're immediately like giving you these like this food and these like gifts, and really also their time, and you're just like, how are you so much more hospitable than a lot of people I've met back home who Dude. are just usually they're too busy to yes. the, help you out. The way people welcome you in and offer you stuff to compared to those that have it who don't, especially coming from the States. I have one story for you before we bounce. Love so, so I was with a dear friend, shout out Jess one time. We were taking a motorcycle trip through Vietnam. We were going from Da Nang and we were going to motorbike up to Hanoi. So we, it was the Ho Chi Minh Trail. You're right, Kiwis love to do outdoor stuff, but I recommend if people want to do stuff outdoors, like, like outdoorsy adventure stuff, you go to Vietnam because it's so cheap to like go hiking, climbing, mountain biking, motorcycling. It's just like, you have still this amazing environment, but to like rent motorcycles and go for like a week long motorbike trip, it was like $100 for like the whole thing, rent, everything. It's just like, you can just play it because it's, being from the States, our currency is so strong. So on this motorbike trip, we mapped it all beforehand, like every day, this is how much distance we need to cover so we can stop here, distance we need to cover so we can stop here, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the first day, we realized we aren't going to make as much progress as we thought we would because we just like 
we weren't super experienced like riders like that, so we didn't cover as much. We took too long. We left too late. Whatever, and so the whole thing kind of gets thrown off. So the whole but just part of the adventure is you're like, okay, now we figure it out as we go. So we had all these places that we were supposed to stop along the way and had like the hotels or the hostels, whatever. And in typical kind of traveling fashion, we, we come to the end, maybe it's like the third or fourth day, and we knew we weren't going to be able to make it to the actual city that we were shooting for, the little town. So there's like this super small town in between that we ended up landing in that evening. And we knew we, the first night we tried to drive through the night, and it was just like such a... As like one of the few times I was like actually scared for my life, like there's be like cows you encounter like in the middle of the street, but this is at night, so they just like come up out of nowhere and just like blank because the road is so warm that like all these animals will come out and just like sleep in the road because it's warm on their belly. It was just super dangerous. Anyway, so it's like I'm like I'm not driving through the night again. So we end up in this super small town, and it's like dusk. The sun is already kind of starting to set. We're like we're not gonna be able to make it, and but we're like it's okay. We found like there's this hotel like this little hotel in this town. So we show up to the hotel, and of course, typical fashion, it's been like out of business for like, I don't know, who knows how long, but it was never online, there was never posted it was closed, it was still showed up, it was open. <laughs> so we're like, okay. So super small town, and it's like two of us were obviously foreigners, and we're in this parking lot, like at this closed down hotel, and there's a guy in the parking lot just like watching us. And I'm like, I'm gonna go over and try to like, see what's up and obviously I don't speak a lick of Vietnamese I can say like very few things and so we'll just go through Google Translate shout out Google Translate one time uh I was like hey we were supposed to stay here it's closed like do you know of any other place like in this in this town that we could stay he just like motioned for us to follow him and this is one of those things again where it's like you trust the universe like we're driving to our death or he's actually going to help us if you trust the universe in these moments you kind of trust your instincts they just like you go with it so we follow him, and he drives us to his sister's house because she ended up speaking a little bit of English. So we show up at this woman's house, and she's like has a baby, and she like speaks very broken English, but I don't have to go Google Translate. And I'm like, hey, tell the situation. Hotel's closed. We're in your town. Can we stay? It's so like, is there anything open? Can we stay with you? Like, what's up? Actually, she's like, um, my she's like, I have a lot of family here right now, but let me talk to my mom. And we'll, we'll figure out, we'll see what's going on. But in the meantime, like, here's some food or whatever. So she, like, feeds us. So, like, eating some rice and, like, some egg. It's just, like, I was, like, we're going to figure this out one way or another. She comes up, she's, like, hey, so we don't really have any place, but we have this, like, extra room where we, like, keep our karaoke equipment. And it's just, like, a table with, like, some karaoke stuff. And I was, like, we'll take it. Like, can we pay you? And she was, like, she was, like, no, like, it's fine. You can, like, sleep on this table. And so she, like, brought blankets. And so me and Jess end up sleeping on this, like, in this woman's karaoke room just, like, for the night. But, like, they fed us. And we ate and we said, okay, we're going to stay. Her brother didn't speak any English. Was, like, hey, come with me. And we followed him out to, like, this watering hole that was just, like, had, like, these different rocks. And we, like, swam in this watering hole and, like, jumped in and just, like, it was, like, just a, such a dope night that was, like, not supposed to happen and happened just because you're just kind of willing to roll with it and kind of rock with the universe in a way that was, like, was, like, one of the highlights of that entire trip that just, like, for no reason, these people being incredibly sweet, you know what I mean? Like, it was fascinating how if you're kind of open to it, I think sometimes the experiences the universe will look out for you. Yeah. At least sweet people will look out, will look out for you. And that's what you learn. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. It's just people are, I think, inherently good. And if you can keep that... 
belief throughout right. life, your life, I think, is going to have a lot more flow to it than exactly. you know, the fear. You just try to stay aware. You do the best that you can do. Right. That, like, you just put your intuition out and right. try to be as kind as you can. Trusting what you said, I think, is huge. Yeah. Because you can sometimes tell when people just got a weird vibe. If, and, you know, if you can kind of listen to it. And um, you don't, you know, you encounter some, some interesting people here and there. But, like, I think that trust element is really big of, like, trusting yourself to be, like... Trust your intuition. Yes, your intuition. Thank you so much, Kia, for everything you've shared. And I love this back and forth that we had and how you have gotten to this place where you're doing the creative thing that you want to do after trying all these things and you know you're more proof that if you just keep following your own intuition and like you said networking community like keep trying Try and putting yourself out there you can land on your feet no thousand. matter where you are in the world a thousand. if people actually want to take your course because i might want to take your course speaking of interest in music where can Let's we find go. your course so it right now um it's all at beatschoolonline.com but if you're listening to this podcast as a straight discount to your listeners, email me. Seriously, email me. Say, hey, I listen to Becky's podcast, blah, blah, blah. And same with you. Becky, just be like, yeah, Kia, let's talk about it. And, and we can arrange something. Just because, oh, um, yeah, it's like I'm so passionate about teaching people to make beats. The, it's a high-ticket course. But if people are like into it, I'm like, I'm down to work with folks where meet people where they are. So. Um, and what about your own music? Like, we want to listen to the music you've made. Where so, can we go? Shout out my mom and my dog one time as my two faithful listeners. But if, if you do want to listen to tunes, um, I'll, I'm in all of your DSPs, like Spotify, Apple Music. It's just, I don't, my, my real name's my, my rap name. Just Kia, Kia Orion. And, cool. Um, yeah, if, also if you listen to tunes or anything. Seriously, if you listen to this podcast and you're into any of it, reach out to me. Just because this crazy, last crazy story on a podcast I was on from a homie in Bali. Shout out Riley from Living That Life. Uh, a gentleman reached out to me by the name of Jonathan, and he's now like pretty much one of my best friends. He's like, hey, KTS, I'm on this podcast. Just reached out. I was like, wanted to chat about music, and he came to visit me in my parents' home because he's from New York as well. This last time I was home. So like, if you're listening to this, I'm a real dude. If any of this resonates with you, <laughs> like seriously, reach out. <laughs> like, I'll get back to you. He's real. He's right here. I'm real. I'm right in here. The in the meditation room. You can find me <laughs> meditating. <laughs> Thank you, Kia. Thank you, Becky. Kia, I have to thank you again for being so generous with your time and also turning the mic around on me and giving me the chance to reflect right along with you on those early days in Asia. It was quite a journey, but I'm glad we both took the chance and found our place in the big wide world far away from the country where we were raised. I also love how open Kia was about how failure is going to happen, but it's the extra time that you make for yourself by getting out of the rat race and allowing yourself time for the creative process that can be the true reward. If you would like to reach out to Kia, you can find his contact info along with all of his courses at kiaorion.com. That's K-I-A-O-R-I-O-N. Go check it out. I will put a link to his website on theschooloftravels.com. And if you'd like to check out my guidebook to my favorite neighborhood in Tokyo called Shimokitazawa, which is available on Kindle or in paperback on Amazon, I will also put a link on theschooloftravels.com. You can also just Google Becky Shimo Kitazawa and Amazon, and you'll find it. Hopefully Japan is going to open its doors in just a few more months, and you can all visit this fantastic Tokyo neighborhood.
I hope you all have a great week, listeners, and I'll be back soon with another episode. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay tuned. Thanks for listening to the School of Travels podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to subscribe and leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks to The Sam Chase for allowing us to use their song, In a Perfect World. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode, and remember to always let travel be your teacher. If you keep your options open, there are places you will go. They will treat you like the kings and queens your parents thought you'd be when you were born. You'd see it all with your head up standing tall, and you'd look back and think it's funny how you spent your time and money.